This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Open your Bibles, if you have them, to uh, Romans 15. If you don't, um, there's a Bible in front of you, in the chair in front of you. Uh, and I'm, I'm new at having a Bible in the chair in front of you. So can tell, somebody tell me the page number. Where's Romans 15? I meant to look that up ahead of time so we can tell you if you're new to the Scripture. Romans 15, 617. You won the sword drill. Okay, 617. <laughs> Any former Baptist from Sunday school know that? Know that. What's it? 553. Oh, we got different Bibles? It's good to know this before the grand opening. Romans 15. Yours is 553, and yours is what? Oh, great. Okay. Uh, well, either go to 515 or 673, and we will sort this problem out before the grand opening. Glad to know we got multiple. Are, are they both ESVs, or do we have uh, multiple? Tra- no, mine's a Greek Testament. Oh, okay, great. I don't know what. Well, again, if you're new here, we, we've got like three Sundays we're figuring stuff out in this new building, and so uh, this is one of them that's a lot, you're just part of the family live figuring it out. Uh, so here we go. Romans 15, we're concluding, wrapping up a uh, series called The Gathering, and uh, then uh, I, I, I will uh, preach a message that will be evangelistic at our grand opening, and then the week after the grand opening, I'm going to start a new series called The Storyteller, and it's going to be a series looking at a number of Jesus's parables, and uh, will enable us to see how, how, what do we learn of Christ uh, through the stories that he told, through the parables that he told. So it'll be a study in the Gospels that we're going to do for a number of weeks as our first series uh, in the new building. So let's start here with uh, Romans 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these words, which are such lofty truths um, of your purposes in the church. And we pray today that you would lift our eyes off our small expectations of what you desire to do through your people. And we pray that you would give us grand expectations, great hopes, great dreams, and, and great resolve to follow you in what you are building and what you are doing among your people And I pray most of all that you would help us see today how you have welcomed us and that it would stir our hearts. It would would change us in our desire to welcome others as we have been welcomed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, verse 7 is the verse I really want to key on today. Therefore, welcome one another. Just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. One of the purposes of the church family is that we might be a people that welcome one another. That's what this passage is about. And that's true in our gatherings together as well. That we might be a people that have a heart to welcome others. And as I was thinking about this idea of welcome, I, <clears throat> I was thinking about personally feeling great welcome. Have you ever been somewhere around someone where you just uh, really felt their welcome? You felt they received you. You felt they accepted you. Uh, You felt that they wanted you to be with them and they welcomed you. As I thought about my own life, I thought some of, interestingly, some of the warmest welcomes that I have experienced uh, have been in other countries. 
uh, which isn't to diss the United States, but uh, in other countries, uh, when I was younger, I had a number of opportunities to do some short-term uh, mission trips, uh, many of them in Latin America, and I, I uh, often would experience a similar uh, thing. They would open up their house for the young uh, the young students who were on the short-term mission team, uh, and they would treat us like royalty. Uh, often they would offer us their best. There would be tremendous attention uh, to our comfort um, from folks who were very different uh, than me. So I ex experienced welcoming in homes of folks that are much different than me, uh, oftentimes in homes that are very modest, uh, families that would be poor by modern American standards. And I remember this one family in particular I stayed with in Mexico City, and the, uh, I didn't have the app. This was back before translation apps like we heard in the testimony this morning. Uh, so there was significant language barrier, but I just remember uh, a number of scenes in my mind that go back. Oh, this is probably almost 30 years. Um, I, I remember sitting in their living room with their whole family, just asking me questions and engaging. And then one of the uh, college age kids in the family went and got a guitar and they began to teach me some songs in Spanish and teach me some words. I found out some of them were kind of a joke song. They're kind of having some fun with me, but uh, doing that. And then they gave me the guitar and wanted me to teach them a song in English and talk about welcome. They actually act like they liked what I was playing and doing, and I'm, I'm not a, a guitarist or singer, uh, but they, they acted like they liked it. I remember them just taking their modest, uh, their modest resources and making a room so hospitable for me. And I can remember particularly one breakfast where I woke up and they had this spread on the table, and I thought, this is more than I eat in a day, maybe two days, that was for one meal. It was a great experience to them, where they went out of their way to spend money and cook and host me, though I was so different from them. My culture was different. My language was different. Uh, my experiences were different. My expectations were different. So much was different. But one thing we had in common was Christ, and they welcomed me. They made me feel like they received me, they accepted me, they cared for me. And we all long for that kind of warm welcome. The proof of that is that I can tell you details about a meal and a living room guitar uh, playing session from 30 years ago in my life. It's vivid because we all long for a warm welcome. And that's what Paul is addressing in the church in Rome. And specifically, he's addressing as well, accepting and receiving and welcoming those who are different in ways from us. I just read to you the beginning of chapter 15. In chapter 14, he has been addressing a divisive matter in this church. See, this church was a setup for for problems because it was a church that was made up of people from Jewish backgrounds and people from Gentile backgrounds. And now their backgrounds, there are issues beginning to surface in the church that is causing trouble. Uh, they are, these are people who prior to believing in Jesus would never have gotten along. Uh, Jews viewed Gentiles, uh, some Jews would use a language like dogs for Gentiles. And Gentiles, uh, the, the, the Roman Gentiles would view Jews as unbelievers, atheists, pagans, because they didn't believe in the multitude of Roman uh, gods. And so these were people who did not associate, who were prejudiced towards one another. And now they are all in the same church uh, trying to get along, and some of their preferences are rising to the surface, some of their practices, some of their backgrounds. So they're multiracial, multiethnic. Uh, multi-religious, we could say, in terms of background. Now they're one in Christ. And so these issues are starting to come up. And in the rest of chapter 15, he talks to Jew and Gentile. But in 14, he talks to two groups he calls the strong and the weak. And that's where he is coming in verse 1 of 15 we just read. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So he's done a whole chapter on this strong and weak. And if we look back at chapter 14, uh, just the first few verses, you'll get a flavor for what's going on in the church. 
He says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Weak in faith, not obedience. So weakness here isn't someone who is sinning necessarily. It's someone who is weak in their faith. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. Most of us would do very well to have Romans 14.1 on, uh, at the top of our computer, at the top of our phone or our tablet, every time we get on social media, every time. Do not quarrel over opinions. The witness of the church would be so polished and pointing to Christ if we embrace that one value in social media alone. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But anyway, not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. There's the welcome language. God has welcomed him. So what's going on in this church is some people don't feel in their conscience they can eat certain things. This is likely the Jews who are carrying some of their background, uh, their Jewish dietary background into their Christian faith. And uh, they know they're right with God because what Jesus has done. But still as a Christian, they feel like they shouldn't eat certain things. Um, Or there may be other people, he doesn't really define, there may be other people who are in this case eating only vegetables vegetables. There may be other people who are eating certain things. And when he says the weak person eats vegetables, he's not meaning they need some protein. Uh, He's meaning, and so the strong eat a lot of protein. He's saying that they are weak in their conscience. And he goes on, and there are other issues as well. He's next going to say, some people think that you should celebrate certain religious holidays a certain way, and some think that you shouldn't. So they're divided over that. So holidays and what what we eat and that kind of thing. Uh, Later in the chapter, there are going to be some who are drinking, and that's a problem for some others as well. Uh, He says, verse 21, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that caused your brother to stumble. So they're doing things that are affecting others in the church. Some feel free to do these things, some don't. But here's the problem. Look at verse 10. I'm in chapter 14. This is all background. Verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? Look at verse 14. I know and am persuaded that by, in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean, meaning food, in itself. But it is unclean for the, anyone who thinks it is unclean. So what he's saying is some of you have freedom to eat various things. Some of you have freedom to drink. Some of you have freedom to just not celebrate certain religious holidays that may have been from the Jewish calendar or something like that. Uh, So you have freedom to do that. But don't start a quarrel with some people who think they can't do those things, who think they are limited in their diet, in their conscience, who feel like they shouldn't drink in their conscience, who feel like they should honor a certain day in a certain way in their conscience. Don't judge one another. And those who are eating certain ways and avoiding drink and avoiding meat and honoring certain days, don't judge the other people who have freedom not to do that as some kind of loose sinner. So you've got these people with tight scruples, and then you've got these people that are looser, and they're all judging one another. And so there's this problem in the church. And so what he says is, look, if you're strong and you have freedom in your conscience to do certain things, don't make it difficult for your brother. Just love them. These are secondary things. What you're eating and drinking... And certain holidays, these are secondary. They are not primary. Love is primary. The gospel is primary. So focus there and let some of these other things go and welcome one another. So he says welcome in 14, and then the big point, 15-7, is welcome one another. They're called to welcome one another, and this is the point between 14 and 15. Welcome and judgment don't go real well together. I've never felt really welcomed by someone who was judging me, condemning me because of my view on a secondary matter. I've never felt, well, thank you for the welcome. 
could I have a hug? This is great. I've never, welcome and judgment do not go well together. We are to extend a welcome to one another and to others that will walk in these doors, extend a welcome. Well, what does welcoming mean according to uh, chapter 15? Well, first of all, welcoming means pleasing others and not ourselves. Pleasing others and not ourselves. Look at verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So he starts with saying, we're not to please ourselves, we're to please others. If we want to be a welcoming community, if I want to be a welcoming Christian, I start in this passage with... I'm not to please myself, I am to please others. I am to bear with others. Now, when, when he says bear, the, the verb bear here doesn't mean just to tolerate. Okay, I'm not going to say anything, but I'm just going to tolerate. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forbear with them. I'm going to bear them. If I, you know, it's not talking about that. It's talking about bear like coming alongside them and helping to carry their burden. Like bear, if someone's carrying something heavy and you come and let me help you bear that. Let, let some of that fall on me. That, that's what they actually mean here. And so he is, he is saying, let's help our brother. Don't flaunt your freedom if you have it and act in a way that will harm your neighbor, but please your neighbor. Now, he's not talking about being a people pleaser. We use that as a negative term. Being a people pleaser means that we want the approval of other people and we'll do whatever it takes to get the approval of other people. He's not talking about living for other people's approval, but he's talking about, what does he say? Please, don't please ourselves, uh, but please our neighbor for his good and to build him up. So do things that build your neighbor up. Judging, criticizing, wrangling over opinions, being, uh, you know, looking for a fight and an argument over a secondary issue, uh, it, it, that's, that's not coming alongside bearing and, and uh, pleasing your neighbor. That's harming your neighbor. That's not acting for his good. So what Paul's saying to the strong is don't push your agenda. Don't push your preferences. Don't push your freedoms. Don't quarrel over opinions, but love your neighbor. Love them. Care for them. These are secondary issues. You are not saved by eating or drinking, it says. The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. It's about the righteousness provided for us in Christ. And he goes on to say, this is how Christ lived. So welcoming means not pleasing ourselves, but pleasing others. This is how Christ lived. Christ didn't please himself. And he quotes Psalm 69, which is a messianic psalm. Uh, that is a psalm about that, 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 that references or uh, foretells Jesus. And he says, Jesus said, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. That's what the psalm said, but it refers to Christ. So he says, that here's how Jesus lived. He didn't please himself. He took uh, criticisms uh, from others. He, a reproach is a word of disapproval or an action of disapproval. He received disapproval that was aimed at God. It fell on him, God the Son, and he took them. He was willing to put up with things. He was willing to put up with people in order to love them. And so Paul said, as if you are the strong, can, hey, look, if you're strong and you're free and conscious, could we just take one for the team here? Everything doesn't have to be something to nitpick and argue about. Everything doesn't have to rise to the, to the level of gospel, rise to the level of the Trinity, rise to the level of the authority of Scripture, rise to the level of the resurrection of Jesus. Those are central, big picture, critical items. Whether or not you eat meat or vegetables, it's not worth fighting over. Don't start something, he's saying. Just take one for the team and eat a salad. It's all right. Let's love. That's what he's saying. Let's welcome people. There's bigger issues if we're going to represent Jesus. What did Jesus do? He, well, he eternally took one for the team. He bore our sin uh, in our place. So look at how he acted. Acted In this passage, Tim Keller makes a good point in his commentary about this passage. Specifically, Paul is talking about strong and weak consciences. But Keller makes the point that if you are strong in other areas, love means that you bear with and help the weak. 
It's, you're not strong for your sake. You're strong for the glory of God and for other people. So he says, if you're economically strong, if you've got means, that's not to heap upon yourself. That's to bear the burden of the weak, to use your means to help other people. He said, if you're socially strong, you're in the inside, you're in the majority culture, then you should be looking for your insider status culturally as a means to reach out to the one who's on the outside, to include the marginalized, to bring the person who feels afar off close in because of your uh, social status. So you use your social strength to benefit someone else. That's, that's love. That's what he says. Uh, or uh, I would add other things, physical. If you're physically strong, the church is the place where those who have physical strength serve and come alongside and help those who have physical weakness and needs. If you have mental strength, those who have an understanding or an, an ability mentally should use that not to puff themselves up from their knowledge, but to leverage that knowledge to help other people. Whether that is understanding the scripture or, or making a home budget or whatever it would be, whatever mental strength you have, how can you leverage that to help someone else? Financially, socially, physically. So the strong are called to help the weak. And so to the situation in the Roman church, Paul says, put your neighbor first. Don't assert your rights, your freedoms. Don't pick an argument. Don't start a fight because there's something much higher at stake and it is the gospel. That's what matters is the gospel. And these other petty kinds of skirmishes don't draw attention to the gospel. They draw attention to one another. There's something higher than me and my freedom, and that's the name of Jesus and the person of Christ. And so I am called to gladly lay down my freedoms for the love of someone else. So when you feel the temptation to correct someone who makes a Facebook post stating an opinion stating a preference, stating a position, stating a lifestyle choice that they are making as a Christian that you disagree with and you are tempted to jump on there and heap some correction, two words, just don't. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. I'm sure you have a great article to link to that will set them straight and everyone else who links to your article. I'm sure everyone will benefit from the public correction, but just don't do it. If it's a secondary matter, don't wrangle over opinions. If, if, if it reflects a pattern of sin in a person's life, then go to them privately personally showing care, not publicly linking to articles that put them in their place or making snide, snarky comments that rebuke a brother and sister in public. If it's a matter that's secondary, let it go. If it's a matter that's harming them, it's a matter of sin that's dishonoring to the Lord, well, don't let it go. Go to them and help them patiently, lovingly, humbly, not to please yourself, but to help them. What kinds of secondary issues apply to us? I mean, it's a good question, isn't it? I'm giving some examples. I'm not really saying, what, what does it apply to? I think it applies to a ton of issues. Anything that's secondary that people feel strongly about, especially linked to their faith, that they feel strongly about, where people can differ on, on, on said topic in their practice, and it's just not central. It's not a gospel issue. There's a, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. Uh, the ones Paul mentions, I think, are all valid for today. Uh, eating, you know, uh, and I'm talking about preferences here that might be tied to faith. I'm not talking about eating. He says, don't eat. Some people don't eat meat. I'm not talking about not, not eating things that you can't eat. Uh, if you drop your kid off in children's ministry and you say your kid has a peanut allergy, uh, that, that's not a weakness. That's a health issue that we're going to honor for the life of your child. You know, that, I'm talking about eating that's like a preference type thing. And there's all kinds of preferences, aren't there, in our culture? And there's all kinds of preferences linked to the godly way to eat sometimes. And so whatever, what, what, whatever it is, if it's an eating thing, just let it go and try to serve 
others. So he's talking about vegetarians here. So there's vegetarians, there's vegans, there's paleos. I don't even know what that is, but there's paleo people. Uh, there are high fat, low fat, non-carb, low carb, mid-carb people. Uh, <laughs> There are, there's all kinds of stuff. There's, there's certain, there are other certain things that are health related as well. Uh, lactose intolerance, gluten intolerance. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. And, and there can be a wrangling. There can be a wrangling about because some people are just happy to go do fast food and some people are happy to, it's got to be all natural. And if there's any process, there's a, it's processes of the devil. And so there's, there's all kinds of people on every extreme. And I don't mean, I'm going to try to, if I mock, I'll try to be universal and get both sides because <laughs> I don't want to show a preference. Uh, I don't, I don't want to defy the very passage I'm teaching here. So you know what? That means in the body of Christ, there are times where I, I just need to serve others and let's eat what you eat. I mean, there's so many options now to have someone for dinner. You almost have to have an application filled out of all the options that, that we have in this culture of how we eat. Organic, non-organic, you know, I don't know, shop at this store, shop at that store, uh, prepared this way, not prepared that way. How much sodium? I don't know. How much fat, sugar? I, 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 it's confusing to me. But we have all that. So what we need to do is we need to honor someone else. And if someone eats more healthy than I do and I have them over, I need to honor that. And if someone uh, invites me over and they have something that's not the way, wow, I don't eat that kind of, uh, and I'm not talking about a peanut allergy, okay? I'm talking about a preference. Uh, I don't prefer that sort of thing. Well, you know what? For the glory of God, uh, this isn't an issue to make a faith matter out of. A health matter, yes. You got a, you got a health issue, yes. But it's just, well, that's not my preference. To, I'm trying to glorify the Lord this way. Or, I'm trying to, or the opposite, I'm trying to express my freedom this way. You know, either, either way. So that one, the alcohol one's a live one as well. He says if it's going to hinder someone else, you're free to drink. But if you're going to hinder someone else, you're not free to get drunk. But you're free to drink. If you're going to hinder someone else, just don't do it. Just, just don't do it. It's, it's not necessary. Holidays are one, you know. Uh, he mentions here different holidays. Ours are different, way different. But how different families celebrate holidays uh, different ways. And so we got there's got to be space for, for different people and different Christians and what they do at Christmas or what they do at Halloween or what they do at Easter. Do they hunt eggs? Do they, whatever the categories are that there's got to be uh, room. That's not gospel central, um, at all. Uh, uh, traditional or alternative medicine. That that's a religious issue for some folks. And uh, it's a secondary issue. Uh, it's a secondary issue. Uh, antibiotics or supplements, it's a secondary issue. Educational choices. There are people with convictions of, about uh, public school. There are people with convictions about private school. There are people with convictions about homeschool. It's a secondary issue. It's not an unimportant issue, but it's not gospel. It's not, is Jesus fully God and fully man? It's not, did he rise from the dead? It's not, you're saved by grace through faith. It's not that category. It can't be that category. It's a secondary issue, important but secondary. Politics, anybody talking about politics these days? Uh, a little bit of politics. <laughs> a little bit of politics going on these days. So, so the church is, just cannot be, uh, the, the evangel and I don't even know what an evangelical is anymore, but it cannot be, <laughs> An evangelical church cannot be a Republican church or a Democratic church. It cannot, it cannot be. Uh, th these are political, political affiliation is a secondary issue. There are moral issues in the political realm. I understand that. There are issues that the scripture speaks to. But who you vote for and what your party affiliation is, is a secondary uh, issue. But it's divisive in the church. And it can be stewardship, how you spend your money, what, what, how, how, what kind of house do you live in? What kind of car do you drive? We're all called to be generous. We're all called to be uh, good stewards of what the Lord provides, but we're not called to judge people on personal choices of spending or not spending. Uh, fads, fashions, and there's biblical standards on fashion um, in terms of, you know, is it, are you revealing your body or covering your body? That, that's a standard. But, but beyond that, I mean, it's just, we, we can't say, well, we, we're this way. We all dress this way at this church. Or we all dress that way at this church. We're all cutting edge, leading edge. We're all leading edge for 1950 or we're all leading edge <laughs> for whatever it is. 
says the guy who's wearing a shirt that I probably wore in 10th grade. So uh, th this just can't be the, the end. This doesn't define the in group from the out group in the church. It just cannot. Uh, you know, entertainment choices to some degree, there's a moral component there for sure. But there's also just a, there's just a range of what Christians uh, before the Lord to glorify the Lord and for the reasons of glorifying the Lord are going to listen to or watch. There's different standards there and everybody can't be held captive by one person's standard. It just can't be. Love is primary. We must be willing to bear with others whose personal preferences and practices differ from ours. That not only enables us to welcome the other, but it also enables us to welcome the outsider into a welcoming environment where what is central should be central, and that is Jesus. It doesn't mean that a biblical worldview doesn't inform everything that I just spoke about. I, I have thoughts ranging from preference to solid conviction on everything that I just shared with you. It doesn't mean that we can't dialogue about them. It doesn't mean that in friendship and in love with people we know and trust and have built bridges with, we can't debate the issues. It doesn't mean that we can't challenge a brother or sister who we feel is going astray in some way on regarding one of these issues when there's a relationship to support that. It doesn't mean any of that. It doesn't mean that we're just some amorphous blob of we love everybody, isn't this great, we are the world, let's stand in a circle and sing. It does not mean that. We're to have convictions, we're to have personally to answer to the Lord for what he's calling us to do, and we can talk about those things, but they are are not central and we must not quarrel over opinions. We must bear with others. We must welcome others. We must include others. We must love others. And we must have an ideal of a church that would include differing people with differing practices on some of, some of the things I mentioned, because that is a reflection of the gospel. There is no anticipation by Paul in this passage that everyone in the church will come to agreement. He never says that, nor does he advocate that. He doesn't say everybody start eating vegetables or everybody have a steak. He does not say that because then we'll all be unified. He says everybody unify around Jesus is what he's talking about. And his assumption is there will be some different practices on food, drink, and holidays and other things in the Roman church. But that's what demonstrates the gospel is when someone can come in and find someone who celebrates a certain holiday and someone who doesn't celebrate a certain holiday celebrating Jesus together. That will be a gospel reflection in Rome. And to use my examples that I used earlier, when there can be a Republican and a Democrat who believe in Jesus and can celebrate Jesus together, that reflects the gospel. When there can be an antibiotic and a supplement person together celebrating, that honors the gospel. When fast food and whole foods come together and for the name, in the name of Jesus and it's not a religious issue that separates, that honors the gospel. When a public school family and a private school family together celebrate Jesus, that honors the gospel and puts secondary matters where they should be. Where, where the family who does not, not own a TV because they don't want to have that in their home, along with a family who has 732 channels but uses them wisely for the glory of God, when those two families can come to one another's house and celebrate together, that honors the gospel, as opposed to those two groups judging one another with the legalist who doesn't have a TV and Mr. TV gluttonous uh, worldly over here, all these kinds of things. Just, just divide the body of Christ and they're not, they're putting up to primary what should not be primary. There is a word for people, there is a word for people who practice what Paul is talking about here. There is an adjective that describes them. It's not a biblical word, uh, but it has a biblical meaning. And here's the word, winsome. Winsome. Winsome means to, gen to be generally pleasing and engaging. Paul says, do not please yourself, but please your neighbor. That is to be generally pleasing and engaging. To be winsome is to be cheerful, 
pleasant and appealing. It does not mean lacking convictions. It means to put the gospel central. And so it produces a cheerfulness, a pleasantness, and an appealingness. Let us please our neighbor. That means let us be a winsome people who draw the lines that the Bible draws, that absolutely preaches the law to tell people that we are not right with a holy God, preaches the gospel that says, this is how you must be saved. You must turn from sin and believe in Jesus. You must not embrace my list of 35 preferences to be a Christian. You must be saved by Christ alone, by through faith alone, uh, by grace alone, for the glory of God alone. You must believe in faith. That's what makes you a Christian. And then we will grow together in patience, not in, in patience with one another. Welcoming means pleasing others, not ourselves. Number two, welcoming means pursuing Christ. I'm going to be much quicker on this point. It means pursuing, uh, it means pursuing unity in Christ. Verse 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Paul wants the church to have unity in accord with Christ Jesus, not in accord to the practices of the weak and the practices of the strong, but in accord with Jesus. And he prays that the Lord would grant them this. Unity is a gift. It is a gift. So he prays, grant us, grant that you will live in harmony with one another. That would be a great thing to pray during the 10 days of prayer. And I'm not aware of any great disharmony. If you're, if you're a guest here, I'm not preaching this uh, message because there's tremendous disharmony in the room and I'm trying to, uh, you know, get this. We got two weeks to fix this before the grand opening. It's not that kind of a thing. It's more of a preparatory word. Uh, it's more of a preparatory word, though I feel conviction and I feel correction. And if you do from the Lord, that's great as well. Uh, we want to repent. Uh, but anyway... This is a good thing to pray. Lord, grant us, may the Lord uh, grant us, grant means gift, gift us to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Gift us to walk in unity in Christ. Grant us that, Lord. Would you please do that for us? With endurance, endurance because it's trying to live out community in a church. Encouragement because we want to be encouraged to keep pressing on. So it says, give us encouragement, endurance. Grant us to live in harmony. Few topics are more important. I believe few topics, I have a passion on this topic. I believe few topics are more important to the church glorifying God than walking out what's in this passage. Uh, And reaching, there's few topics that are more important to reaching the lost. Jesus prayed that we would be one so that people would know the Father sent him. Jesus says our unity is an evangelistic message because people will know Christ has come if they see unity among people of different races, different socioeconomic backgrounds, uh, different uh, choices and preferences uh, in some areas. That, that honors the Lord. Two important things about unity right in this passage right, that we just read. You don't reach unity by pursuing unity. You reach unity by pursuing Christ. He says, don't, he doesn't say live in harmony with one another in according, according to yourselves. He says, live in harmony with one another in accord with Christ. So the picture is, as the church all pursues Christ, as the church centers around the gospel, we find ourselves in unity together. It's like if you have, I've used this illustration before, if you have a a tuning fork and you tune 100 pianos to the same fork so that they're all tuned together to this fork, then all the 100 pianos will be tuned to one another as well. And if we're all having our hearts tuned to Christ, if we're all being tuned to the gospel, if we're all being tuned with a passion for Jesus and wanting to walk that out in our lives, then we will all be tuned together. We'll all be tuned together and we'll walk out our differences uh, through dialogue, through prayer, through believing the best, through bearing with one another, at times overlooking things. And if they're a matter of, of, of a pattern of sin or something that's very harmful, then being reconciled through dialogue with one another, through uh, graciously bringing to one another's attentions, questions that we might have or help trying to help one another, this sort of thing. So first of all, it comes through Christ. And secondly, unity is not an end in itself. Worship is. Look what he says. Live in harmony, verse 6, that, in order that is what that means, in order that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So walk in unity, in harmony together, weak and strong, 
uh, food, drink, and holiday people. That was his context. All these areas in harmony together so that with one voice you may praise the Lord. This one voice is probably a reference actually to gathered worship, a single voice. So people who may have some differences in, or not may, people who will have differences in secondary matters are able to come around the central truth of the gospel and with one voice worship Jesus. That's the goal, is the worship of God, that he is glorified. That is the goal. Not that we all just get along. That's, a, that's great. But it's not that. It's that the Lord is glorified by this kind of harmony. There's a beauty in that, to glorifying the Lord. Worshiping one God together. That's a powerful, powerful witness. So welcoming means pleasing others, not ourselves. Number two, welcoming means pursuing unity in Christ. And lastly, welcoming means dealing with others as Christ has dealt with us. And this is the most important point. Verse seven, if we get this, everything, if the Roman church got this, everything else will fall into place. Won't won't need any conversations about vegetables and meat. It'll all fall into place if you get this. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. When we think about having a welcoming heart, we don't think about welcoming people that are like us. We don't think about welcoming people that are different than us. We think about how has Jesus welcomed me? That's, that's the point. We, that, that's making a gospel-driven, motivated by grace approach to welcoming others. How has Christ welcomed me? A few chapters back in Romans 5, Paul tells us how Christ welcomed us. And this is the model for how we're to welcome other people. Romans 5, verse 6. Romans 5, verse 6. I'm going to read verses 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, same language, weak and strong. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So how did Jesus welcome us when we were weak? Jesus didn't say, Jesus didn't say, you get strong, you get like me, and then I'll accept you. He took initiative to come to us while we were weak. At the right time, he died for the ungodly. Jesus welcomed the ungodly to repentance and faith to turn and follow him. He welcomed the ungodly because there was no other kind of person to welcome. We have no one else to welcome but sinners. Well, we welcome Christ into our midst, so we welcome him. He's sinless. But everybody else that we welcome is a sinner. Jesus welcomed, he died for the ungodly. He died for the ungodly. It says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He did not wait for us to clean up our act before he opened his arms to us. So how can the church do any less than Jesus? How can we require of people that they get their act together before we show them the love of God in some way. He, he, he saved us from wrath, it says here. He saved us from the Father's judgment. He, he justified us by his blood. His blood forgave us. He sacrificed so that we would know the Father. Verse 10 while we were enemies, we were reconciled. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So we were Christ's enemies. That's the Bible, that's the language the Bible uses for us. We were enemies of God and he came and died for his enemies, took the judgment of the father that we deserved and welcomed us, welcomed us to repent 
and to believe. That's what he welcomed us into. Repentance and faith, the free gift of eternal life. And then he welcomed us into his family, adopted us. We are adopted by the father into his family. And now we have been reconciled. We were a far way off. Now we've been reconciled. And so he's saying, relate to others with that kind of a heart. So in the church where people have already experienced the reconciling power of God, we're to walk out that reconciliation together. And we are to love people uh, in, uh, in their weakness. He uses the word weak in their weakness and in their sin. And loving them in, in, in their weakness can involve what we've been talking about here today. It can involve not taking secondary matters and making them primary and just trusting the Lord with that, not being a wrangler over opinions of secondary matters. Loving them can, in their sin can involve all kinds of things, uh, bearing with them, uh, confronting them, uh, seeking to assist them to come out of their sin. The church ultimately, if someone's an unrepentant sinner, even disciplines a person, and that's an expression of love as well. Loving call and appeal to come back to the Father. So we, we love people in their sin as well. And we also welcome people who don't know Christ in the same way he welcomed us. He didn't, Jesus didn't require that we uh, fall into place in all of these various areas. He just required we acknowledge our need and receive him. And so we want to have that kind of an open heart to people that don't know him. He took the initiative to the unlovely, to the ungodly. He gave his life for his enemies to make us his friends. And so we want to express that same kind of welcoming heart. And the good news is, even when we've been unwelcoming and judgmental to others, Christ forgives that. Christ forgives the unwelcoming heart, and he gives us a opportunity to be changed by grace and to repent and become a welcoming purpose person. If I had to pick a word for the next season of our church life, and I don't know what a season is, if it's a month or if it's six months or if it's five years, I don't really know. But if I were to pick a word for the next season, I think it's welcome. I think that's the word, welcome. We want to be a people with welcoming hearts. Welcome is not a word on a mat. Welcome is the vision of the life of the local church. That's what he says here. Welcome as you've been welcomed by Christ. Welcome is a calling for us to relate to others. As Jesus forgave me, I forgive you. As Jesus uh, rescued me uh, and welcomed me, I welcome you. As Jesus sacrificed himself so that we could be friends for the Father, I'm going to do whatever I can. I'm not going to die in your place, obviously. He he did that. But I'm going to do whatever I can to point you to the Father as well. this is our calling is to welcome. It's not for a few of us who wear a name tag out in the lobby. It's not for a few leaders in the church. Uh, It is for the whole congregation to be welcoming to one another and to be welcoming to those who would be new. Welcoming is not just a way of greeting. I welcome, we're having a welcome moment. Say hi to somebody. No, it's a heart that embraces, that pursues, that takes initiative with other people, that puts things in the right place, that knows when to let a thing go and knows when, well, that's a serious matter and always points to the gospel. It's not a method. Welcoming is not a method to grow a church. Welcoming is reflecting the heart of Jesus for the worship of the Father, for the glory of God. That's what the passage says. So when we think about Christ, it puts it all in perspective. When I relate with people with different, fo- uh, different backgrounds, different preferences, different practices, different convictions on non-essentials as Christians, people of different backgrounds like Jew and Gentile in this context, then I relate with them in the way that God has related with me with patience and with making central things central and peripheral things peripheral. Relating with folks who are different than me, I need to realize no one, no one, no unbeliever is so different than me than I was, uh, is more different from me than I was different from God and am different from God in his holiness. I want to talk about someone who's different, all of us from God. That's different. And Jesus crossed that barrier and said, you're different. You're an enemy, but I love you and I welcome you. And he saved us. He drew us into his father's side. Jesus died and reconciled us. 
Listen, we want there to be no stumbling block for people, not our preferences, not our positions on secondary matters. Only the cross is to be a stumbling block. If someone won't believe in Jesus, if someone refuses to come to Jesus, let it be because of the message of the cross and not uh, because of the eccentricities of his people. Let it not be because of the... uh, uh, because of the preferences, because the man-made laws and rules and cultures of his people. May it be the cross alone that, uh, that stumbles, because the cross is a stumbling block, very clearly. We should hold strong to our convictions. We should hold strong to our practices in our hearts before the Lord with our family. But we should let love be supreme, and we should welcome as we've been welcomed, and we must never grip any secondary matter like it's primary. We should grip the gospel and never let it go and never let it be challenged. I mean, it can be questioned by an unbeliever, but we don't ever challenge or think, well, I don't know about that one. But some other practices, I got to hold those loosely. And I need to be open to what the Lord would say to me about those. But to the gospel, to the person of Christ, to the authority of the scripture, to the Trinity, to salvation by grace through faith, these truths are unchanging. I'm going to close with a quote from Tim Keller on this. I thought was so helpful when he wrote on this topic. He said, a person without a grasp of the gospel, I'm sorry, for a person without a grasp of the gospel, differences of opinion and practice are huge and insurmountable. But if we grasp justification, that is God has made, Jesus has made us uh, right with the Father through his death. We're right with God because of Christ. So if we grasp that justification, that we are accepted in spite of our deficiencies and flaws, we will be enabled to accept others despite their deficiencies and flaws. In fact, the way you can tell how much you understand the gospel is to look at how much you love people despite their flaws. If you want to understand how much you love the gospel, look at how you love other people despite their flaws. When we're not gripped with the gospel, a difference of opinion is huge. A difference of practice is insurmountable, he says. But when we're gripped by the gospel, then we are able to see what is most important, what's secondarily important. And there's probably categories for third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. uh, And we can push all those to first if we're not careful. May the welcome of Christ inform our every interaction with one another. And may we welcome others as he has welcomed us. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.com dot o-r-g